chapter 2. is where we're at tonight, Acts chapter 2. Last Sunday was, was a great day, it was a great time of um, rejoicing for 38 years, and uh, praise the Lord, there were several visitors that were here, several of you that brought visitors, praise the Lord for that, it was great to have them here and, and um, to be able to get an opportunity to um, invite them to make this part of their church, or make this part of their life, this church part of their life, and, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for the, even though we had some young guys up here that were amen, and at times they didn't, they didn't know what amen meant. They just thought, oh, somebody's saying amen, I'm going to say amen. Well, they did. And, um, and they, uh, Pastor Parker has now educated them on what amen actually means and when to say amen. And, uh, and even though I said, what's the fruit of the Spirit, one of the guys said strawberry, that, you know, I understand, fruit of the mind. It was so good to see him here on Sunday. Um, it was four young guys that were here, first time. And so praise the Lord for that. And we had several visitors that were here. Um, Isaiah had a friend that came, and praise the Lord for that. It was so good to see him come, and, and um, he, he really wants to, to get involved. And, and so let's be praying that we'll see fruit that would continue to grow as a result of um, what we saw last Sunday. We praise the Lord for that. Um, it's good when you have a special service to see visitors, and we did. And the food was amazing. I mean, everything went so well. I loved it. Um, all everybody did just a wonderful job, and how everything went. It was so good. Love the flow. It was so nice, um, and uh, the, the sound in here, everything. There's so many wonderful things on on Sunday. I want to just mention that. Let's look here. Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. Look at verse number one, if you would. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own, what's the next word? Language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And now hear we every man in our own, what's the next word? Tongue, wherein we were born. Tonight I want us to to look at and continue in our, our study about a church ablaze looking through the book of Acts. I'm not sure if we'll get through the whole book, um, but there's some major things that I want us to look at. because um, Over the last three weeks, we were looking at being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. The final conclusion was what? Somebody want to summarize the final conclusion about the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God, about when it takes place and what it does. Anybody? Okay, when you get saved, exactly right. When you got saved, you're baptized with the Holy Spirit of God. All right, now today that's the way it is. And what does it do? Yeah, Brother Randy? Yeah, dwells within us. He seals us under the day of redemption. And he is right with, he makes us alive. So, I mean, literally, we're born again, we're made alive. And he does the, the, the work within us. Um, there's a lot, I know that, that that's kind of a loaded question. But in a nutshell, that's exactly what we talked about. It's not something that happens, oh, 
I was going to ask the question, does it happen at salvation or after? Brother uh, Harold already mentioned that. It's not something that happens later. Well, there's, we've been looking at this exact passage of Scripture for the last three weeks, and now we here are again. And here's the reason why. Because there's another big, controversial subject right here in these verses that is so important, I believe, that we need to study. Um, there are a few subjects that cause such, um, uh, I guess you might say, disputes within Christendom today as what we're going to talk about is talking about the gift of tongues. There is a big uh, amount of controversy. There are some that might be close to it. Uh, baptism is a big one. Um, eternal security is a big one. But uh, as of in the last hundred years, this has become a very big controversy. By the way, I will tell you, prior to that, it wasn't a controversy at all. This is actually a modern controversy. When I say modern, I'm talking about uh, 1890 till, till present, approximately time frame. It's not that long when you look at the big picture. Not a, it wasn't a controversy before that at all, um, because they, people weren't speaking in tongues as we hear today. It was not done. It was not part of any church. Um, it had ceased, as the Apostle Peter said it would. And so this is really a modern, but it's become something that, I mean, it's really become a fire. That's the, and I say fire, I don't mean that to connect to the Holy Spirit at all. I'm talking about how it's spread. It's been a rapid spread that has happened through Christianity and when you say Christendom, you might say, and it's spread, the charismatic movement has swept across, across the world. It's infiltrated most denominations, um, independent believers as well, m many different places. It's, it's infiltrated the Catholic Church, uh, the Apostolic Church, places that you wouldn't even imagine that it would. And some places, I mean, stronger than others. If you talk to a missionary today that, that is, in, is missionary in any third world, second world type country, they will tell you that one of the greatest things they struggle with is the charismatic movement. If you talk to missionaries, I've talked to missionaries in Ethiopia, where they, they said that the problem was they would start a work and somebody would come in with a charismatic movement and they would take that work over and before you know it, it became a charismatic church. And unfortunately... People that helped start that church, it, 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 it's something they, they had to go back and check and really had to verify because of the false teachings of the charismatic movement and this whole, um, uh, uh, the whole uh, thing of speaking in tongues. And so it, it's something that has been very um, pushed. It's on TV. If you turn on just about any of the broadcast networks that are supposed to be Christian broadcasting, you're going to see it's infiltrated throughout all of that. And I'm, I'm thinking about in the next couple of weeks showing some clips of some of the things that you will see. And, and just to show, to me, when I look at it, I just go, how foolish is this? But there's people that actually believe these things and are actually following. There's, there's people that are being led astray by this false teaching. And so it, it's, it's so important, I believe, that we are very well equipped in understanding and not being confused about the subject of speaking in tongues and, and so um, we really need to study this, and I'm, I'm praying that we'll be able to, to learn and, and grow through it. I hope I whet your appetite to even learn more. Um, but um, they talk about this, this whole being, um, this tongue, this ecstatic experience. And oftentimes they talk about it as something that's without parallel, that arouses the spirit in a way that must be experienced to appreciate it. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever experienced the ecstatic Speaking in tongues, that it, it, it caused you to have such an emotional feel by it. Okay, if you've never experienced then how could you judge it? Hmm. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But they say things like that. Um, for example, uh, talking about the, the experience of it, um, th this one gentleman, his name is Robert Morris, he says this. He says, for me, 
The gift of tongues turned out to be the gift of praise. As I used the unknown language which God had given me, I felt rising in me the love, the awe, the adoration that I had not been able to achieve in thought or prayer. And so in other words, he's saying it took him to another level of, you might call it worship, they would say. And, and so there's countless charismatics that testify that speaking in tongues has enriched their lives. You can look at quotes of things that they say, things how it's affected them. One leading Pentecostal author, he declares this. He said, quote, The chief purpose of tongues is to provide the human spirit with an opportunity to worship God in ecstatic prayer, praise, thanksgiving, and song. It gives you the ability to be able to do that. Another writer, he said this, When I started praying in tongues, I felt, and people told me I looked 20 years younger. Well, there's a good reason to speak in tongues. I'm built up and given joy when I speak in tongues. Courage, peace, the sense of God's presence. And I happen to be a weak personality who needs all the help I can get. Interesting. You know, when you, you hear testimonies like this that make powerful sales pitches, and, you know, it makes speaking in tongues, it, it looks like something that is very attractive. And, and by the way, it is, humanly speaking and fleshly speaking, it's very attractive. That's why it has spread like a wildfire all over the world. Um, I heard a number, I heard a number, I'm not sure, I can't verify this number, but I heard this number. There are over 320 million Pentecostals in the world today. That's a big number. 320 million. And so if tongues can give us health, if tongues can give us happiness, it can make you look younger and potentially, uh, uh, you know, help you to, to get a higher form of worship and praise. Why not speak in tongues, Right? What could possibly go wrong with such an experience? I love it. it makes a person feel good, closer to the Lord, spiritually stronger, and even uh, delirious with joy. Can it be dangerous or deceptive in any way? Must be good, right? No. No, it can be destructive. It can be d d uh, uh, dangerous. It's something that we have to be very careful of. Many charismatics say this, though, and, and this is what I was talking about earlier. If you want to speak in a heavenly language, the intellect must be set aside. If you want to speak in this unknown heavenly language, you've got to take your intellect and check it at the door. For some, that comes natural. No, I'm just kidding around. But, but that's not what we should do. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that. Now, there's such a thing as faith, but I'll tell you what, faith that is founded upon truth. The truth of the Word of God. The absolute truth of the Word of God. It's extremely dangerous to shut up your mind and allow our, emotion, our emotional freedom. There are a lot of people that have done a lot of things in emotion they wish they'd never done. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but there's people sitting here tonight, probably every one of us, did something in the moment of emotion that we wished we'd never done. Emotion is not a good guide. Feelings is not a good guide. George Gardner was a charismatic pastor who left the movement. In, in, in a book that he wrote, The, the Corinthian Catastrophe, he, he discusses the danger of surrendering one's mind and self over to experience. This leads to, he says, an inevitable emotional breakdown and opens up one to an attack from Satan. Such a letdown causes the individual to go back again and again and again to an experience for stronger doses of emotion. It's something that it, it literally, according to Gardner, becomes almost like a drug, requiring heavier and heavier doses to get the same emotional high. 
And so, yet we're never told in Scripture to turn off our minds either. Once again, like I said, God wants us to use our mind. We need to make sure that we understand that emotion is not what should lead us. And so what's happening today in the world that we're talking about, this, this speaking in tongues, is God reserved for this present generation a renewal of the extraordinary gifts of grace which marked the first Christians? Is that what's happening? You know what they say is that this is a fulfillment of prophecy. They go back to the Old Testament, they go to Joel, they go back to the Old Testament, and they talk about the fulfillment of prophecy of speaking in tongues in the end times. The problem is that fulfillment of prophecy, you know when it took place? Acts chapter 2. It took place. It was a fulfillment of prophecy, and it already happened. They try to use those as a reason why it's happening in the end days today. And that's not, that is not scriptural at all. God, so is it now possible to hear the same miraculous tongues that amazed the crowds at the day of Pentecost? Should it be the same today? Has the gift of tongues resumed in the 21st century? And so these are questions that we really, you might say I already have the answer to. Well, let's get sure up on it. Maybe you have some thoughts about, like, I'm not sure I understand it. Well, we need to make sure we do understand it. Um, and so an understanding about experience. And if the experience believers claim to have does not agree with the Bible, then the experience is wrong, not the Bible. If what you're experiencing is contradictory to the Word of God, then something's wrong with your experience. God's Word is never wrong. So often we hear things like this, though. Oh, but you've never experienced it. I've felt it. It's so wonderful. Now, you might not have heard that, but I have. I actually, I've heard those exact words. You've not experienced, I've felt, man, it's a wonderful thing. Boy, it's wonderful. Don't knock it unless you tried it. <laughs> What's funny to me, I mean, that's kind of a common saying, but when you say it about tongues, if it truly is a gift, and how come I have to try it in order to experience it? If it truly is a gift that God is giving, why do I got to practice or try? <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Uh, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with only an argument. Ooh, that's dangerous thinking right there. Let me say it again. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with only an argument. So you have an argument, but you've never felt like I've felt, basically. You've never experienced what I, you don't know the high that I felt. I mean, the, the exalting of God and all that came with it. Now here's a question. Is experience wrong? Is experience wrong? Turn my, I'm experiencing my watch right now, making all these dings. That is wrong. Sorry about that. Come on. There you go. So is experience wrong? Somebody share an experience that wasn't wrong in your life. Brother Randy. Amen. That's exactly what I was looking for. You experience getting saved. Yeah, I mean, you know the old song? I say old. It's not really that old. It's actually a newer song. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened and now I know he touched me. And what? Made me whole. That was an experience that I'll never forget in my life. I speak of it often. And it's something that's a good experience. It's a wonderful experience. And so, I mean, when we experience that salvation, or might say the love of God, and when, uh, we understand that, you, you know, in reality, once you get saved, your, your life is a love affair with God. It's an experiential thing. 
It, it is not theoretical. Now, if it's theoretical for you, I, I worry about your relationship with God. If, if all you have in your love relationship with God is theoretical and you just talk about it, it's something that's up in here, but it's never in your heart, there's something wrong with that. No, it's, it's something we ought, we're in love with God. We ought to love with every part of our being. It, that is something we experience and we feel. We understand that. But the Lord, just, just properly when he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, he said this, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That love is founded on the absolute truth. What is the truth? In chapter 8, verse 31, it says, My word is truth. The word of God is truth. That is the foundation by which we have that relationship with God. It's the word of God. It's not just the experience. I've talked to some people. They say, I say, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Oh, I know I'm going to heaven. How do you know you're going to heaven? Man, I was laying on my bed one night. This is a true story. Laying on my bed one night. Man, that bed just lifted up in the middle of the air. It began to spin around. I saw an angel at the end of my, my bedpost. And man, God spoke to me and I knew I was saved. I thought to myself, man, something else spoke to you. That wasn't God speaking to you. That was the vodka you like to drink. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And, and, you know, people that have experience of it, it's not just an experience. It is something that is experience that we have, but it's based on the truth of the word of God. Now, if somebody says to you, I got saved any other way than by faith through grace, by accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, believing in his death, burial, resurrection, but they said, I experienced salvation, what would you say to them? They're not saved. So then why then would we say experience is a reason why we should speak in tongues? We need to go back to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? What does Scripture say? That's where we need to go to. You see, God's design is this way. This is, this is really kind of laying it out. To, remember, we're supposed to have our minds engaged in thinking. God's design is from truth to experience, not experience to truth. We have to keep that in the proper order. Now, how about this one? But, you know, I know Bill. Not Bill Rhodes either. I'm just using the name, arbitrary. But I know Bill, and, and it happened to him. And what about Mrs. Simon? One of the sweetest people I know, and she had the experience. I mean, if it's genuine to them, then it must be real. Hmm. You know the truth of that is? There's times in my, my life that I've seen people like that and I go, hmm, people that you knew loved the Lord, people that you knew were some of the best people you've ever known, and yet they talk about this gift of speaking in tongues. And it makes you stop and think, doesn't it? I mean, it does. You know what else makes me stop and think? About a Mormon that has a family that has a wonderful, beautiful family that seems to be some of the nicest people that live in the world today and then questioning the fact that they're saved. Why do we question the fact that they're saved? A Mormon that's living like Christians should live. What's that? Yeah, because work salvation. We, and how do we, what, how do we determine the truth for that, though? The Word of God. I'm making a point. The Word of God. Just because some sweet person that is some of the nicest people you've ever met are engaged in speaking in tongues doesn't mean that it must be true. That's not how we determine truth. How do we determine truth? Here we are again. The Word of God. We have to go to the Word of God. It's so important. There is no doubt that there are godly people. Now, be careful what I say here. There are some people in the world today that are born-again Christians that are not doing everything right. 
They could be born again, child of God, brother and sister in Christ, and yet be messed up in this area. I do believe that. I, I, I really do believe that. Um, I've, I've seen people. I've seen their fruit. I see what they do. And um, I know their testimony. And yet they are involved in, in this, this, I believe, led astray. Praise God that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. Praise God that they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise God they believe in the virgin birth. Praise God that they, they're even many of them are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And why is the charismatic moving like a fire across the world? Okay, that's true, but there's something else to the equation. Because they are out telling people. They're actually going. Even though they're not telling the truth about this tongue situation, they are going, is what my point is. And unfortunately, and we're going to talk about this more, unfortunately, this whole tongues thing and this, this, this gifts of the Spirit stuff gives people a false assurance of salvation many times. It really does, because it's an emotional thing they're going through, and it's never do they go back to the actual truth of the Word of God where they were born again. And we have to be very careful with that. And so... What do we do in that situation? Okay, so we believe they're saved. We believe they're born again. We don't go and beat them over the head. What we must do is speak the truth in love, is what the Word of God says. That's what Christ said to do. Speak the truth in love. But speak the truth. Speak the truth. They need to hear the truth. They, they've been deceived. They need to hear the truth. Um, and so the question that should continue to confront us is this. What saith the Scriptures? What saith the Scriptures? Now, that is a fundamental doctrine for Christians that we should believe, but it's also one of the, act, uh, the reasons why we, uh, the things that we, what we believe as a Baptist, that the Word of God is the final authority for all faith and practice. That is a distinctive of being Baptist. That doesn't mean that nobody else believes that, but it's an absolute distinctive of being Baptist. There are a lot of churches that don't believe that, okay? So we must go to the Word of God, not just by what we say, but what we do. We have to go to the Word of God. What does God's Word say? So let's look at the meaning of this gift. Let's look at the meaning of it tonight. Before we um, get into the rest of the study, let me have a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd help us to learn, help us to grow, help us to be strong in our faith. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to answer, uh, Lord, any man that asks us. Um, Lord, that we would understand how to answer and understanding that not be tripped up, led astray. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Talk about being tripped up and led astray. I've known many people that have. Got saved, born again, serving God going to a good church, next thing you know, they get led astray by into this, this whole thing right here, speaking in tongues, the charismatic movement. So let's look at it. What is the meaning of this gift? And it is a sign gift. Glossa is the word in the New Testament for tongue. Glossa, we see it again and again in the Bible. Scholars, they tell us that this word appears 50 times in the New Testament. Um, 16 times it refers to the literal human tongue. All right? For instance, there in verse number three of our text tonight, when it talks about cloven tongues like as a fire, it's talking specifically about the, 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 the tongue, okay? And 33 times, though, the word means language. 33 times it means language, all right? So it's 50 times total, 16 times referring to the actual tongue, and then the other times it is referring to a language. Now, the interesting thing is this. Not once in the Bible... Does tongues, tongues mean a heavenly language that only God understands? Not one time will you find that in the Bible. 
Tongues are mentioned, by the way, in only three books of the Bible, as far as in the New Testament. You find it in Mark chapter 16. You find it in Acts and, and three different chapters, chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19. You find it then in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. You don't find it in any of the later epistles at all. And so it's only three different times. And, and so I want to examine some of these passages, and I want to come to a simple fact. And that simple fact is this, that the biblical gift of tongues were known languages. The biblical gift of tongues were known languages. So let's begin. Let's look at the day of Pentecost. Let's review it once again. Here we are in Acts chapter 2. I want you to notice it and keep in mind what's going on here. Remember what we talked about the book of Acts already. The, books of the, the Acts of the Apostles is a transitional period. There is a whole lot that is being transitioned in that time. From the beginning of the book of Acts all the way to the end, it, it changes are taking place. Many changes. In Acts, we go from synagogue to church. Okay, prior to them meeting together, they went to synagogue. Okay, we're talking about the Jews that happened. We go from Old Testament saints to New Testament believers. You have a transition that's taking place here. You go from the, the body of Jewish believers to the body of the church, which is Christ, obviously. And, the, and it's made up of, and here's a transition as well, of Jews and Gentiles who are one in Christ. A lot of transitions that are happening. In, the, in, in Acts, um, there are people that are being raised from the dead. I mean, can you imagine seeing that? Uh, chapter 9, verse 36 through 42, chapter 20, verse 9. Here's a question. Are people being raised from the dead today? Not that I'm aware of. Anybody ever seen a person resurrected from the dead? I haven't seen it. Uh, where are the so-called healers in our land who can raise people from the dead? Where are they at? Nowhere. Dr. L. Strauss was confronted on one occasion by someone who asked him this question. Sir, have you spoken in tongues? He replied, for 60 years I've spoken English and God has been blessed. God has blessed those words. <laughs> they went on and said, but sir, have you had a valid New Testament experience? Hmm. Strauss replied, is walking on water a New Testament experience? Is raising the dead a New Testament experience? Are you catching what the point is? So if you want to talk about tongues being a New Testament experience, well then why aren't people walking on water? We had a missionary several years ago that tried to walk on water. It didn't work. I was a terrible guide, by the way. Oh, man, if you remember. Uh, anyway, I don't want to take the time to tell the story. But you can't walk on water. It doesn't happen today, right? People aren't being raised from the dead either. Joseph Dillo, he summarized it perfectly when he said this, quote, We must not, the tragic mistake of teaching the experience of the apostles, but rather we must experience the teaching of the apostles. He goes on, he says, The experience of the apostles is found in the transitional book of Acts, while the teaching of the apostles is set forth clearly in the epistles, which are our guide for our Christian experience today. It is so good. And, you know, it, we need to teach the teachings, experience the teachings, not experience the experience of. It was a transitional period. It's never going to be repeated in the future after the book of Acts. So, keep in mind that Acts, transitional, changes taking place. But I want us to look here at Acts chapter 2, and verses 4 through 6. Can you picture the scene? All right, we've read this several times, and I go back and read it. But we, we'll pull out a few, more, a few verses here. But 
Picture what's going on here. Remember, the vast crowd could contain people from many places um, around the world coming to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And they were amazed. Why? Verse 6 says it. Look what it says. Every man heard them speak in his own, what's the next word? Language. Language. Luke goes on to name 15 different areas, places in the world of different areas of people that spoke different languages. He lists them there. Furthermore, this is an interesting thing, the Greek word there, dialectus, is the word language that you see there. The Greek word is dialectus. Does anybody know what, what English word we get from that word? Dialect, exactly. And dialect is, 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 we understand what that means, different dialects, different languages, different way of saying words. Dialect is also used in reference to the languages in chapter 2, verse 6, and verse 8. But verse 6 and 8 there in chapter 2, the first time it says languages, it's a dialectus. The second time it uses the word tongue, and it's the same exact Greek word, dialectus. It's talking about dialect. It's talking about a language and, and speaking. Now, the word tongue, like I said earlier, can refer to a body part or can refer to a language. If you were to say that people are of the same tongue, what would you mean? They speak the same language, they're from the same area. It perhaps is a descriptive of where they're from in the world. And so that's the understanding of what this word is talking about, okay? It's talking about dialects, talking about a language, all right? And so unbelievers present at Pentecost that heard God's message proclaimed in what? Their own language, their own dialects. They heard it in their own language. And such a description could not apply to the ecstatic speech that we hear today that when people are babbling in these unknown tongues. These are known languages that are happening here in Acts chapter 2. There's no question about it. There's no way you can misinterpret what this is saying. It is so obvious. And so this event, it sets the tone for the rest of the book when it comes to speaking in tongues, when it comes to speaking in languages or dialects. And so we see the first instance of it, lays the foundation. There's no question we see it's other languages. It's people hearing it in their language. All right, let's go to the next one. Take it to your Bible, turn over to chapter 10 now, look at verse 46. Here we see the house of Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. Amazing uh, testimony we see here. I'd invite you to go back and read the chapter later. Um, there, there's really good, it's, it's amazing to see how God works. Person that is desiring the light wants the truth from God. God will send them light. God will send them a witness. God, he will speak to their hearts. And that we see that definitely with Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, look at verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter. Now that's the same Greek word we found in Acts chapter 2. It's glossa, the Greek word for tongue. So known languages are in view here. The exact same word. And in this instance, the tongues weren't for communicating so much as they were for evidence that the Gentiles were also part of the church. A Gentile now is speaking in tongues, language, a language that they did not understand. Obviously, uh, Peter understood what they were saying and, and had an understanding that he saw that they now also had the Holy Spirit of God on them. And so God was just showing to the believing Jews that the Holy Spirit had come to the Gentiles just as he had to them. Remember, transitional. Remember how it was before. How do we know this? All you got to do is read chapter 11. 
Chapter 11, we see that there's Peter struggling with, well, actually 10 and 11. He struggled with it. Now he goes back to report to his Jewish brothers. At that time, Jews would have looked at Gentiles and said, oh, no, they're unclean, right? They're unclean. God had to speak to Peter, and he had to really get a hold of him in order for him to do what he, and go and obey uh, the, the call to go to Cornelius. And so um, look what he says to his fellow apostles there this, about this miraculous event. Look at chapter 11, verse 15. Notice what he says. Kind of describing what happened. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a key, what was I that I could withstand God? Now what's he saying here? I'm sorry guys, I had to do what God told me to do. He's talking to people that were very prejudiced and they were following Old Testament law, really. They had to understand that they were no longer under the Old Testament law. They were under grace. Now, this is the church age. It's different, completely time. This is a transitional period of time. And he's telling them, and, and, and I, God's the one that did this. God gave them. Now, listen, it's a sign gift. This is a sign gift. Who was the sign gift for? Was it for Cornelius? Was it for the Gentiles? Who was it for? The Jews. It was a sign gift for the Jews, once again, to reaffirm to them what God was doing, that God was, was going to now reach the Gentiles. It's, it, they're going to be part of the church. I say reach. I, that's, that's the wrong word. God was reaching Gentiles way before this time. Okay. Um, they were proselytized into the Jewish religion. Okay. And so in this instance, though, we're seeing that no distinction between now Jew or Gentile. Even when they were proselytized, when they went to the Temple Mount, they couldn't go to the same place as the Jews could. They had their place on the Mount, and the Jews had their place on the Mount. You, and, and, and still today, they, they have divisions like that over there, and you understand. And so here he's now bringing them together. And there's no difference between the Jew or the Gentile, the Greek. Uh, um, and so, so it shows here that he, was not, that he could not deny the Gentiles had received the Holy Spirit of God. Have it happened any other way, Peter might not have believed it. God had to give him a signed gift. It was for the Jews. It truly was. And so the Gentiles were part of the church. Speaking in tongues was the visible truth, proof of that. Let's go to, to now to Ephesus. Go to chapter 19. By the time we reach chapter 19, there's one other group of people that hadn't been included in the body of Christ. A little group of 12 believers. What did they believe in? That's a difficult subject. I don't believe it's so difficult we can't answer it, but it's a challenging one. Um, let's just read what it says here. Notice what it says. Look at chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They were believers. They were believers just like the disciples were. They were believers. Before Pentecost, they were believers just like them. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be an Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, 
Under what then were ye baptized? And they said, Under John's baptism. Hmm. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Here we see a group of people. They had heard the message that John the Baptist had preached of repentance. They had believed, but they had never, at that point in time, and this, this, is, this is a controversial subject, it really is. This is where people start to really make divisions. But why did they have to be baptized now they had already believed why did they have to do this they've been baptized with the baptism of john baptism under repentance and now they're baptized and they have the holy ghost come upon them all right here's a picture and i i believe what this is and, and what, what this is talking about the disciples of john the baptist uh, now are being included as part of the church those disciples that had never gotten to the place of, and these, these were people that weren't there in Jerusalem. These are people that hadn't heard of what had taken place there. And, and so we see here that, that there is a, uh, the Spirit made clear to the apostolic witness that the disciples of John the Baptist were also part of the church. They were believers as well. They were part of the church. And so through the book of Acts, you can see the mar marvelous way that the Holy Spirit's putting together the body of Christ. There, there's no part of the body that can say that we have something that you don't have. Everybody is on the exact same level. And so once it was proven that Jews, Gentiles, the, the, the Old Testament saints that were alive at that time, that had were believers, were part of the body of Christ now, there was no need for the filling of the Holy Spirit to be accompanied by tongues speaking. And, and so, in, in other words, the gift of tongues was given to confirm that these different groups were part of the church. And it's the same Greek word again that we see there. This was not the, what you hear today, the, 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 the mumble-jumble that people say, and they're saying all these words that make no sense at all. And so when we look at these verses of Scripture, you look at what happened. Biblical tongues were known languages. Known languages. Let's look at one more. We've got to go there quickly. Go to 1 Corinthians now, if you would, chapter 14. Let's look at the language of the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There are those that argue that there's a distinction between the use of tongues in Acts chapter 2 and in 1 Corinthians. They talk about two different tongues. And they say that, uh, that the, the, the Acts chapter 2 is intelligent communication while uh, 1 Corinthians, the, the church at Corinth, they were speaking some heavenly language. Is that, what's, is that the truth? Is that what's being said? It's interesting that John F. Uh, Wolverd, he, he notes that in his discussion on the matter that there is really no foundational grammatically uh, which would justify a distinction to be made. In other words, if you look at just simple grammar and you look at the words that are being used, there is no distinction between what was happening in Acts chapter 2 and what's happening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. There's no, no difference. The same exact words. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look at verse number 2. Notice what it says. For he that speaketh in an unknown, mark that word in your mind, tongue, speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, 
They're being, uh, uh, people today are saying that this is a, a, an unknown language. It's a language that's described as being mysterious, heavenly, um, intelligible utterances. Um, but there's something interesting here. Now, th they'll use that word unknown. Now, I'm going to be really careful with this. The Bible you hold in your hands, I'm hoping it's the King James Version. Best translation that we can use today. But it is a translation. It's the preserved word of God for us. And God has used it in an amazing, marvelous, unbelievable way. I mean, you can't, you can't argue the testimony of the King James Bible. There's no, there's no arguing it. If, if you want to argue it, you're going to lose. But there is something that we see when it comes to linguistics, when you do translation from one language to the other, that sometimes words are added to help interpret in the interpretation. Because they, it's added to help with that. Um, and so if you look at the, the Texas Receptus, and you look at chapter 14, verse 2, when you see that word unknown, it's not in the Texas Receptus. It's not in the received text. It's not in the Greek translation that we used, that, was, that we got the King James English Bible from. How many of you in your Bible, look at the word unknown, see it's italicized. Is it italicized in your Bible? You see it? That's what that means. It means simply that the translators for the 1611 Bible they had to add words in the English to be able to properly translate a foreign language into our language to better understand it. All right, so they put that there. Now, why would they put unknown? What do you think? Yeah, exactly. If you look at every other instance in the Bible that talks about tongues, you have to come to the conclusion that they, the same conclusion they came to, it was a tongue that the people that spoke did not know. Or the people that heard, heard it in their language as an unknown tongue. And so they put that in there, even way back, by the way, back in a time frame when tongues wasn't even a question. Back in the early 1600s, I can tell you right now, people weren't going, running around speaking in tongues. That's a, that is a phenomenon that has happened recently, in recent years, like I said earlier. And, it, and I truly believe it is a great deception by the devil to try to lead people astray. And so when we look at this, it says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now what this is talking about is speaking in a language that the people that were there present could not understand. He's speaking in a language that it, the only one that understands is God. Why are you doing it? It's confusion. And, and you can study this further, but can you imagine coming in here tonight and PJ starts just babbling in some, I mean in Russian. PJ, do you speak Russian? But God gives you the gift to speak in Russian, right? She starts babbling in Russian. And then Sally, she starts babbling in some kind of, I don't know, South African tribal language of some kind. I don't know what it'd be. With a bunch of clicks and... <laughs> I'd be like, what's going on in here? Matter of fact, I might be just like running out the building. I'd be like, I'm out of here. Something's not right here, right? Now you think about that seriously. <laughs> you all right, PJ? Sally, you going to be all right? <laughs> Oh, I shouldn't have picked on Sally. I should have known better than that. But, you know, it would be confusion. And so he's saying here that God knows, but, you know, he's trying to give guidelines to a church that, remember, the church at Corinth is not what you'd want to, you know, when people name their church First Corinth Baptist Church of Ludington, probably not a good choice, and I'm just guessing. 
right? And when people try to base a whole doctrine on a church that's actually the letters being written to them to basically censor them and guide them and direct them, probably not a good idea. I say probably, I'm being obviously facetious. It's not a good idea. It's a terrible idea. And so we see here that the Apostle Paul is writing to them, and he says, For the he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. It's all kinds of noise. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries, even though God's giving you the words to speak. And, and that, it, it, here we see that there, there are people that will say that that's a, 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 another tongue. That's not what it's saying. Not what it's saying at all. Look, if you would, chapter 13. Go back one chapter, look at verse 1. We're talking about a church that's being corrected because they weren't doing things right. And Paul, once again, look at verse 1. He says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And here we go again. This is what they use. They use this verse as a foundation for what they say they believe. Tongues of men, that would be the languages in chapter 2 of Acts. And angels, oh, it's an angel's tongue. Okay, so help me out tonight. Let's, let's see how smart you are. Your minds are turned on. In the Bible, every time angels spoke to men, what language did they speak in? Exactly. Every single instance. Every single one. You won't find any instance where some ang the angels are speaking in some other tongue that the man doesn't understand. They're speaking exactly. That's amazing in itself when you think about that. All right, here's a good one for you. Was the miracle because the man heard the angelic language and heard it in their own language? Or was the angel speaking? I'm sorry, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> they heard it in their own language. They were speaking to them, and, and you can see it. I'll give you examples. Luke chapter 1, I mean, go back to uh, Mary, go back to, I mean, you can go back to Joseph. There's so many examples we can see of this, but I'm not even going to go into it. But nowhere in the Bible do you see it. Anything other when it talks about languages, angel speaking is the human language. Biblical tongues are not gibberish. Biblical tongues are not gibberish. They are a language. It might not be a language that you know. It's unknown to you. And it can be spoken in a situation, at least in the transition we see there happening at Corinth, where people were speaking it, but the people were there that could not understand it. So, what passes for tongues of the Pentecostal and charismatic movement is not true languages. It's not true. Modern tongue speaking is not the same as the biblical gift of tongues. It's not the same thing. William uh, Samarin, professor of linguistics at the University of Toronto, he, he wrote this, quote, Over a period of five years, I've taken part in meeting, meetings in Italy, Holland, Jamaica, Canada, and the United States. I have observed old-fashioned Pentecostals and Neo-Pentecostals. I have seen in small meetings, at, uh, or I've, been, I've been at small meetings in private homes, I've been in mammoth public meetings. I've seen such different cultural settings as are found among the Puerto Ricans of the Bronx and the snake handlers and the Appalachians. Yet, in spite of superficial similarities, modern tongue speaking is fundamentally not language. He came to that conclusion. By the way, I wouldn't have had to go all those places to figure that all out, but he did. He was trying to find out, is there truly something to this? And so he's, he's one of many men who have made studies of modern tongue speaking, and he's come to the conclusion that that is not language. And all the studies agree that what we're hearing today is not language, and, it's, and if it's not language, then it's not the biblical gift of tongues. 
For the tongues that were spoken in the Bible were known languages. They were languages that people could understand if they were hearing in their dialect, in their language. They were known languages. They weren't babbling. And by the way, and though I speak with the tongues of verse 13 of 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13, verse 1, and though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm becoming a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Paul is being facetious there. He's saying, if, if I had the ability to t speak with such eloquence as an angel, by the way, Paul couldn't, but if I had the ability to do that, and yet I don't have love, agape love, charity. If I don't have that, I'm nothing more than noise. That's what he's telling them. He's telling the church they got a problem because they don't have love. They don't have the love they should. They have all kinds of sin problems. They don't have the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And they, they're babbling and trying to, you know, doing all these fleshly things. And yet he's saying, listen, even if you could talk like a tongue, with the tongue of an angel, yet you don't have love. It's nothing more than a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's noise. And the reason I come to that conclusion is if you read the rest of the chapter, he does many examples of that. Things and making examples of. He's not saying that he speaks in the tongues of angels. It's not what he's saying there at all. I'm going to stop there tonight. We'll move on. And um, next week we'll look at the, the motive behind this gift. What's the motivation behind it? We'll dig into it deeper. Let's all stand up. seated.